Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Northern Lights. My name is Armigan Mohammed, and I had the privilege at the beginning of November of inviting five local businesses, small businesses, to come and talk to us about the individual journeys they've been on, the risks they've taken, the unique products they brought to the market, and actually how have they survived in the pandemic world. And I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation. So I've been in the North 10 months, um, and a couple of things that have really pleased me and I think surprised me is just the amount of passion and energy I see in local communities and actually people also developing businesses, working really hard, taking risks, you know, because to actually start a new business and a business that's, you know, providing a retail service or something new to the community, you know, there's an element of risk involved. Um, but also, you know, I've come across a number of businesses over that time who are just really passionate about what they do. And I think their passion means they're producing things that aren't normally available or they're putting their energy into things, taking a risk. And actually, we as consumers get the benefit of that. And one of the things I think we all know is the pandemic's been quite difficult. And it's been quite tough, you know, both on large organisations, but actually smaller family you know, individual-led businesses, you know, they've, they've had challenges as well. So one, this sort of crazy bunkers idea that Ginny and I were bouncing around a few months ago was, why don't we get some of the people that, you know, certainly we've discovered in the last 10 months, um, who share those themes and actually get them in a room and let's understand a bit more about their business. So that's really the purpose of this. Um, and I'm just really, really pleased to have all of these amazing, fabulous people here with us today. But with that in mind, uh, I'll start off by just asking everybody to introduce themselves um, and just tell us a little bit about themselves. Not too much, because I want to do a little Q&A as well. Uh, but shall we just go clockwise? Uh, uh, Brian, would you like to kick off? Hello, I'm Brian Brereton, and uh, I own the Moberly Ice Cream Company. So we are a small, handcrafted producer of pretty much upscale ice creams. Um, we are known for our alcohol range, uh, which I don't know if you've sampled or not. Uh, <laughs> and we are the only producer in Cheshire who makes real ice cream, and I'll explain that. So, uh, Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Uh, Richard? Yes, hello. Um, I am uh, the director of Cinderwood Market Garden, uh, one of four directors, should I say. Uh, it's a biologically intensive, um, one acre plot of land in Cheshire, uh, which now supplies over 20 restaurants, bakeries and delis in Manchester with regeneratively grown produce uh, yeah. twice a week, Wednesdays and Thursdays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you for coming in on a Thursday then. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Wednesdays and Fridays. Thursdays a good day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Aidan. So we both um, co-own Lovingly Artisan, we're a husband and wife team, and we have a daughter also that works within the business. So this is a real family business where all of us have a role to play. So my role within Lovingly Artisan is primarily managing the stores, business development and marketing, and Aidan's role is a true artisan baker. And we are a, a sort of a sourdough, organic sourdough bakery, we believe truly about the power and the health-giving benefits of 
good grain, work very closely with organic farmers in the north, um, and are very excited about the way things are. Yeah, the bakery is primarily just on the outskirts of um, Cumbria. We call that bread quarters. Right. And then from bread quarters, we have a small uh, micro bakery at Altringham Market and a bread store. And we're crossing our fingers and toes with soon to come into the city of Manchester. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Jenny, a bit different because you're not foodie. <laughs> not foodie, no. Um, so I'm Jenny, the owner and founder of Nordic Views. We're a lifestyle store based in Manchester's Global Quarter. Um, so our ranges are really characterised by the carbon, carbon sort of simplicity of Scandinavian design. Um, the, the products are primarily Danish brands that we bring in um, with a real sort of focus on form meets function. So everything has a purpose whilst also looking beautiful in the home. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Laura. Isabel. I'm Isabel and I am Dormouse Chocolates. Um, I have a shop just around the corner from where we're recording on Deansgate. Um, we are a micro-batch craft chocolate maker, which means that we, rather than buying in chocolate and melting it down, which is what the majority of people do, we buy cocoa beans, roast them, grind them, and actually turn them into chocolate. Um, we work exclusively with single estate cow from all around the world. And yeah, we've, I've been working in chocolate well, as a sort of primary job for six years. Yeah, that's me. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well. And we will come back because, you know, you do produce amazing chocolate. Brian, <laughs> um, can I just kick off with you? Because you're actually, maybe one here, you're the first person I met. Uh -huh. All right. And, and so, you know, for better or worse. Yes. Right. Um, and the way we met was I go to this farm to buy the raw milk. And you happen to be in one of the sheds there, you know, swirling and twirling one of your magical products, <laughs> products. And, uh, and we got talking and then you, you enticed me to buy two of the tubs. And then within two weeks, I had actually bought and eaten six tubs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then my daughter came and I got her to buy some. Yes. And then I ate hers as well. Uh, so I'm very careful how many times I meet you, uh, for, for, only for food reasons. But, I mean, when we were talking, it's a fascinating journey you've been on because you didn't start off in ice cream, did you? And it, it almost felt quite tangential to to other stuff you were doing previously. So how, how did you get into doing what you're doing? Yeah, I, I have no food background. I, <laughs> and if I did, I don't think we would have the company that we have. Um, I'm just an ice cream fanatic. I always have been. Um, I met my wife here in England. We moved back to America. And we went for ice cream all the time. Kids would come over, we'd go for ice cream everywhere. Every time we came back to England, I would say, let's go for ice cream. And I was always disappointed. And there are, there are some ice cream places around that are fantastic. Most of them, this is similar to what Isabel was saying, most of the ice cream manufacturers around here use a mix or powders or chemicals or all of the above. Um, we're the only ones in Cheshire, which is dairy country, who make real ice cream with milk, cream, and sugar. Right. And we are a little bit different because the farm that Amagen Medicine uh, is one mile from our house, and they have a herd of Jersey cows, and which is, again, unusual for around here. And the milk is just so creamy. And so the milking parlor is literally 
10 feet from the pasteurizer, which is another two feet from the, um, the machine that I have that churns the ice cream. So it really became this all encompassing on the farm. Can we do it? it? Knowing where every ingredient came from. And then we started partnering with other local businesses. So we wanted sticky toffee pudding ice cream. We found the best sticky toffee pudding around and partnered with them. We started to make our um, gin and orange ice cream and we found the Big Hill Distillery in Marble Lake, a little tiny micro distiller. And we just started making it and that's become our signature. Um, honey people just we, we try to find all these locally sourced we can make a bread ice cream maybe <laughs> and we definitely need to talk about chocolate my wife says i have to find you um but it's it's because we always look for the highest quality um and we started during lockdown um we were buying raw milk from that farm <laughs> uh, walking to it and we kept saying if you ever pasteurize we could make ice cream with this and uh, they bought a pasteurizer and I convinced them to let me have a little space in the dairy. Uh, and we would go there every morning, bring the milk to our house, cook it up, and then go back to the dairy and make ice cream. Um, and I had to import a machine from America, one of our hidden um, secrets in our, in our process. Um, everybody else is using these European machines. We went straight to the inventor of the ice cream machine. Oh, who's still in business, this company, for 100 and whatever years the grandson runs it. And so we want one of those. And uh, yeah, mortgaged the house and brought the machine over. <laughs> They're expensive. Um, but we just thought it would be worth it. Quality ingredients, yeah. quality everything. We really, we are passionate about it. Um, and, and we just can't, we can't keep up with the demand we have right now, which we're super grateful for. Um, everything's just been word of mouth, random meetings, like, randomly meeting Omega and then ending up here. Uh, we were in the middle of winter. We had a, a stall uh, next to a burger, uh, upscale gourmet flaming burger man. And uh, this gentleman came by and said, can you put this set up anywhere? We said, well, what do you mean by anywhere? He says, I have an idea. Come see me. So we went to Dean's Gate Square, and uh, he just happens to be one of the directors there. And he said, I want you right there between the four towers for the next eight weeks. And so we knew nothing about how to do this. We came up here and set up shop, and we were out there. I think we met you there as well. Um, and it just took off. And now we're in that general store over there that's on the ground level. As a matter of fact, the gentleman who owns all those stores now wants us in every one. Um, we sat down for a tasting. He took one spoonful of the Mella, which I brought with me today, and uh, just turned to his buyer and said, put that in ours. Yeah. And we're like, thank you. <laughs> you don't even know who we are. Yeah. Which again starts that whole journey of we didn't know anything about barcodes or packaging for retail or which you that's awesome. What a great story. No, you just figure yeah. it out. Thank okay. you. Thank you. And I'm a big fan of your chocolatey one. And also the uh, lemon one. Yeah. So lemon cream with ginger biscuit, I didn't want to make. I don't like lemons. And uh it's our one of our most popular, probably the second most popular one. And the chocolate. Um, we have to now train our staff because when people taste our chocolate and they're at an event, they take literally three steps. It happens all the time. They stop, they turn around, they go, oh my God, what's that? That's how good the chocolate is. It's just yeah. not like anything anyone's ever had. Awesome. Thank so. you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for everything. Kathleen, <laughs> um, can I turn to you? So it's, it's, really, it's really interesting. When I One of the things I was researching when I came here was to go to a really good bread maker and I was looking online and I came across your website 
loving the artisan. And I noticed you had outlets, but you were you weren't in Manchester. You were further out, you know. Um, and so I kind of I put it away at the back of my head. Right. I just thought, oh, that, if, if ever I come across them, I'll definitely buy their bread. And then I happened to be in Altringham Market, and you were there. Actually, I think you were there with an apron on or, or something, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and I started observing you. I didn't call up to you and say hello, but I observed you. And I was thinking, that's the photograph of the guy who's done some... Because not only did I look at the website, I researched some interviews you've done as well. And I said, I recognise that gentleman. He's linked to Loving the Artisan. And then I brought the bread. And then the next week... I went and bought it for a couple of friends who live here as well. And then that's kind of how I sort of discovered your bread. And then I realized in 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 uh, the market, you have a store at the top, but you have something underneath as well. You know, you have almost like two outlets. Mm -hmm. So I went to the second one, and there you had this bread, which I've only ever had in France. And I'm probably saying this wrong, but the fougas. That's right. Yeah. Is that what I'm saying yeah. right? And, and I remember having it in France and then buying a book on how to make it. It was just called Bread. It was like some French chap who'd done it. And then so I made my own sourdough and I made it all and it, it wasn't that good actually. It was a bit heavy. And then I never touched it again. And then I had some at your store and I, I really got just taken away with the whole thing. So I was just really, lots of little coincidence had to happen. Lots of little journeys mm -hmm. to sort of discover you and to meet you. So I'm really, really glad you're here. But could you just sort of talk to your journey, how you got into it, why you're passionate about it? And actually, one thing I'd also like you to comment on is why you're doing it in the north. Well, we started, I'm a, I'm a lifelong baker, so I started my first bakery when I was 24. I went to Boston College of Culinary Arts in the States and sort of was inspired to start my own business just by being in the States and seeing the, right. the entrepreneurial drive and just do it. Doesn't matter if it goes wrong. We'll just do it. So came back and just straight into it. Started a new little bakery, and and that grew over the years. Um, and we sort of we sort of moved on from that business. And Catherine and I were together, sort of got together, and we wanted to start a little bakery. But but what had happened was when I first started, it was very much the bread world was very much about French bread. It was French influenced. Right. Was all very yeasted. And what had started, we'd been asked right. some nearly thirty five years ago to make sourdough. And we'd started a sourdough starch and we made sourdough just for this one guy who was actually the first three-star Michelin chef in the UK, bought a little restaurant in the lakes and came to us and asked us. And we, we had no idea. So we made these little sourdough bread rolls for him. We ate them ourselves, when, gave when them was, to him. When was that? This was this was this was literally 35 years ago. Oh, so I'm not ago. I'm not putting right. dates to it because it's embarrassing. Right. So a long time ago. Um, so anyway, so we made that sourdough, and it was something we did ourselves, and we always loved doing it, and we knew it was amazing bread, but there was no market for it because Gosh. nobody ate sourdough at all. It was just not known. Everybody knew about California and and San Francisco sourdough, but there was no real connection. So anyway, when Catherine and I started the new bakery, what is lovingly artisan now, about 11 or 12 years ago really tiny, we started in a tiny little way, um, just outside Oxenholm train station, mainline. we just got a tiny little space, the space of a garage, we decided to start this business by not borrowing any money. So right. I approached a couple of friends and said, you know, can I borrow an oven, which is quite bold and it's quite a big thing to borrow, right. an oven, a mixer, a couple Tray. of racks of trays and, yeah. you know, so just friends from, from friends who I knew lent me stuff and said, listen, no worries, Aiden, just pay us when you made a bit of money, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we started just outside Oxenholm train station, but we decided at that point to be totally sourdough. We just knew that the, because it was the mainline station to London, 
that the clients that we would have there would be a little more food savvy and we'd probably right. you know develop a bit of a market and we had a few wholesale customers locally so we started there and it grew a lot faster than we expected um and and at the same time we'd developed a connection with uh, a farmer in the northeast in northumbria uh, andrew and biliana at gilchester organics who grew this um biodynamic ancient grains and we were we were utterly inspired by what they did and we wanted to create a bakery that reflected and respected what they did as farmers we thought there was something very special about this that sort of caught us in the soul and and we grew the bakery from that point so well, here we are on the just outside the train station we're selling this bread that we think is beautiful and we got more and more customers who sort of bought into it once they tasted right. came back and and it, it grew from that point there and then we sort of uh, grew out of our little space by the train station and we moved into just outside kendall there was a, a a sort of a farm development where the farmer had converted a number of units into specific food units which made as a small business the step from tiny to a so, bit bigger yeah. a lot easier because we weren't having to make that capital investment in the building um, but we were able to step up and that made a big difference to us we were everything was going great because then as Catherine mentioned before we had what was at the time this was about seven or eight years ago storm desmond and that literally wiped out our business in the late district. Oh, wow. Now, so and we knew from previous experience, years before, from foot and mouth, we knew what this was like when people turn off the tourist tap in the late district. That right. it just stops. We knew Nick and Jenny, who had Altrincham Market. They, they were customers at the railway station. Ah, uh, okay. And they had asked us previously if we'd like to go down to Altie, and we'd said at the time no. And we also knew a couple of the people who had places in Alty Market. So we decided, well, what have we got to lose? We've got no business here in the lakes. Let's get down to Manchester, Do get in the van and go down. So we hopped in the van, went down, took some, went into the market, asked Nick and Jenny if we could have a table and we could stand, which Jenny said yes straight away. Um, so we started trading on the market in a very basic, simple way. There were a number of other bakers. On it was the just market. literally from a table. A table. With um, you know, when we think about it now, you know, we talk about going on an organic journey. Everything we've done, we've had to do in edible stages. We've had to manage really, really carefully, but we've just always leaped with our gut. We always feeling. stuck to that thing. We're yeah. not going to borrow money. We're not going to so borrow money. Have a little business that grows yeah. organically. There's an absolute beauty to that that you're not having to answer to the bank manager. You only answer to yourselves. And if it doesn't work this week, you know it hasn't worked because the money's not there. Yeah. So right. you've got to think on your feet yeah. all the time. And you've just got to trust some of the choices. So we went from um, the railway station to, I remember we moved at Easter to a much bigger unit. Yeah. Our um, accountant at the time said, oh, I don't know if I would do that. It's too risky. Yeah. Whereas we yeah. thought, well, that's unlucky because yeah. we already said yes and we're going. Yeah. Um, so we, we said yes and we went. And then initially we weren't ready to go into the market. But then all of a sudden we said to Jenny, we need to come now. And we did. We started off with a tiny, tiny table. So grateful for any loaf that we sold. Right. And we soon found our rhythm and our absolute love for the consumer. We yeah. were face to face with this enthusiastic audience that just devoured all of the information that we were so passionately desperate yeah. to give. And it worked. That was the beauty of the market. It was yeah. the market. You didn't, you didn't get that at the railway station there. You, well, you did. So you did. And, and we actually, they did work, but not in, in the, the same, same way, way as the market. Yeah. People expect you 
So yeah. they expect banter on the market. Yeah. And and it's it's part of the theatre and part of the day out. Yeah. And all of a sudden we just found our place, our home, and it was working. And then we were really lucky because Jen and Nick, they're very, you know, in tune with what's right for the market. And all of a sudden, I think they saw this couple and they thought, let's just get them guys here permanently. Let's yeah. give them a stall. And you felt like you'd really earned your stall. So we got the lovely bread stall and we loved it. And it was probably, you know, a shed to somebody else, but to us, it was a theatre. We absolutely adored it. And, you know, we worked so hard for about two years. And then... Jen said, would you like to have a small micro bakery at the market yes. as well? Yeah. And we were really nervous because we thought, oh, if we go down to the bottom, will that impact the top market? How will we manage this? Yeah. Was this, that the second one? The second one. Yeah, How yeah. will we manage this? But again, gut feeling. With just a leap of inner faith, we just yeah. did it. And then what has been really interesting about what we call our market life, there are a tribe that comes to the top market and they love the inner market. And there's a tribe that come down to the bakery. <laughs> and so you know your customer. Yeah, right. and it makes no difference, did yeah. it? That they both grew, they both support each other. It's very rare you get two outlets in the same, same place. I mean, I, I, when I discovered the second one, I was, I was trying to triangulate it in my own yeah. head. I was thinking, how does this how work? Does this work? Right. And I still haven't figured it out, but no, we, it we seems to work. Either. So yeah, sometimes you need to figure stuff out. I think the important yeah. essence of the bottom market is that that area wasn't actually very successful. Right. And and actually the fact that we were we wanted to start and do a little bakery down there, and now you see how yeah. that whole yeah. Jen and Nick say that the the oven gave the street a heart. Yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden there was a buzz. You know, because we've got now, you know, a wholesale business runs from the bottom market. There's a lot of activity from about half four in the morning. And there's a, yes. there's a I call it a Dickensian buzz. Yeah. You know, you've got yeah. a wonderful fruit and veg guy there ourselves, yeah. a cheesemonger. And there's a real buzz at the bottom. Yeah. And it's a different atmosphere yeah. to the top market. And, you know, like all of us here today, the business has organically grown mm. and still organically yeah. grows we, we sort of grow it feel the pace of the business how is it responding to yeah. us pushing and stretching it and you have to do that when you're in a small business you have to constantly think this is where we are now or what's on the horizon how yeah. should we navigate our business in the future and that's why we're always just yeah. how, how many people do you have there's 13 of us now it's and it's stuff. growing and yeah. one of the the they all, my my sort of feedback, they all look so enthusiastic. We have yeah, everyone, such you know, is so a good team. Yeah. I can't remember which bread I've buy, but it's got it's like it's the name of someone. I can't remember. Emma. Emma, that's it. Yeah, I buy the Emma. Now every time I go, I almost sort of ask the same question again, and they still tell me yeah. it's this grain and it works like <laughs> this one. I'm just going to move on to, to Jenny actually, if, if I may. But I, if I get time, I'll definitely come back. Um, Jenny, you're not involved in food. Right. <laughs> so you're a bit of a rarity around still. But the reason I was really excited, because I just remember going past you. Well, actually, I was actually going to the ice. There was an ice cream place next to yours. I just opened. Sorry. sorry. Um, and I wanted to just try it. As a, as a, and, but next door was your shop. And my wife and I went in it. And we just discovered so many nice things. And at the time, I'd just got a flat here. And it was empty. So I started basically populating it with stuff from your shop. <laughs> And actually, we were there the other day buying a, 
Where were you going? We were going to someone's house for dinner and we were buying a gift for his mother-in-law who was cooking for us. Um, who's a wonderful cook. And uh, we bought some teas and lots of interesting things and packaged them up. And I just really like your shop because it's different. You know, you, you don't get that sort of stuff in catalogues. It's, it's not that available. Um, and it's quite unique. You know, you'd have to you'd have to go quite a few places to get all of that stuff together in one yeah. place. So I'm really intrigued why you did, you know, how you got into that because it requires thought. It, it doesn't feel mechanical to me. Yeah, I think um, I think for me, I've worked in retail. I've actually worked in retail for 20 years now. I just have a very young face, but I'd worked in retail from everything from you know a checkout, a stock room. Um, you know, all different levels really, all the way up to head office. Um, and I originally started doing fashion design and I had to make a decision when I went to uni, was I going to go down the design route or was I going to go down the business route? And I think business is just very natural for me. I'm, right. You know, I was always in trouble at school with um, my mum and I getting called in, just, just sort of that transaction of, of buying and selling and things like that. So. I think naturally I was very entrepreneurial and I made the decision to not go down the design route um, in terms of concept but to go down the business route. So I, I studied design management which was literally everything from concept to putting a product in store um, down to the engineering of the fabric. You know we did a lot of um, lab testing. It was actually an engineering degree even though it's retailing so it gave me a really broad um, knowledge of, of, of the whole retail spectrum really. And then um, at the time, it was sort of like everybody sort of thought you have to go to London to get a job in retail, you know, you know, retail head office. Um, but we we do have a lot of big companies. So I went I went into JD Williams, which is in the Northern Quarter, not too far from where the store is now. And I, I worked my way up from the bottom as an allocator and started to sort of really finally tune my brain into the analytical side of inventory management. And then sort of as my career progressed, I went further and further into the supply chain and, and went to a company called Ultimate Products, which is quite a huge uh, global company, but the consumer never really sees them. They're quite far down the supply chain. And I worked my way up with them. And I sort of, I think for me, I was, I was so hugely passionate about the high street and, and what was happening and the kind of news grabbing headlines of, of store closures that I kind of, it just really put in perspective why I was doing what I was doing and the rate at which we were bringing products to market and how quickly they were being consumed didn't really feel right for me. I was I was working with big big retail giants and it just really lacked a, a personal approach for me. So um started out with literally under hundred pounds on a market every Saturday Sunday. When was that? in 2014 right. and I would um, by this time I'd worked my way up to head of e-commerce for this company and I'd grew their e-commerce business from the ground um, to like a multi-million pound apartment it was a turning point where direct to consumer became um, became a thing and a lot of a lot of the larger retailers whilst they look quite sophisticated on the surface they didn't really have the capability to do it and and I kind of took a hold of that and, and really ran with it um, so by the time I'd left, I left, I had so much knowledge, but yeah. not a lot of passion for what I was doing. So I went out every Saturday, Sunday, and I started um, developing and, and selling the jewellery. And then I'd go back into work on Monday to Friday with quite a big team. 
these markets became an escape. I just fit like what you said. I loved I loved the engagement. I, I love the feedback, sort of the instant reaction to something. You know, I was used to developing a product or bringing it to market, and and you were finding out how people reacted afterwards. This this was so instant. Um, and then eventually, it just became much more meaningful to me. And I took the plunge in 2018 and, and left my job and set up in a really small container over on Oxford Road at Hatch. And it's, it's just developed from there. Um, what did you do the shop that you have in Long um, We had our biggest year ever with COVID. We, were just, we just saw some opportunities um, with remote gifting and, and things like that and kind of just really looking at the data and, and, and following what people you know were buying and that that funded the move to the new store so I moved in there in the December started the renovation very quickly and then we managed to get it open in April so that was, yeah that was a real highlight being able to open the doors with everybody else yeah, yeah. And, it's gone off a minute. Is, is there um so, so you've seen the the, the the big the big companies and you're kind of doing it small yourself do you think there's a trend now more for people like yourself where people want very uh, sort of atelier or very sort of people who've selected things rather than having too much product everywhere and people getting confused yeah i think there's definitely a demand for considered yeah. and I, I do find more and more and i think this is sort of the success in covid that people are buying into the business owner and their ethos yes. as much yeah. as the product um and i think just the whole service side as well like i think for me nordic muse wasn't just a love of the product it really was a love of, of retail and and putting that personal touch back in and i, I think i know that like digitalization lacks I really do think that people crave the experience side and you know you were talking about the theatre yeah I feel like as the high street does sort of deplete what what's left of physical yeah. will become this local neighborhood community shop small and the people you I, I mean I can tell you the people who work with you are just lovely and I often when I'm in the northern quarter I pop in not necessarily to buy something but yeah. just to say hello yeah, like I did today at lunchtime. Yeah. You know, so I was in the area and I just popped in. Sarah, so, I think Sarah, who you met, she yeah. when when I worked in e-commerce, she was my German translator when we went into the German market. Right. Um, and that's how she come to work for right. me now. Yeah, yeah. So my daughters buy their rings and their earrings from yeah. there, and my wife's always, you know, interested in, you know, unusual sort of household yeah. stuff. So no, really, thank you very much. I mean, it's so interesting seeing what, what you're doing. Um. Isabella, um, can we just turn to Dormouse Chocolate? Yeah. So this is an interesting story. So on, I think I'd only been here on my second weekend and I was walking around and um, we were walking down the, the, I don't know what that road's called near your shop where you have to go up the stairs. Yeah, just off that. And there's a staircase that goes up around the corner. Yeah. So, and I saw a sign there and it just said Dormouse Chocolate. And I thought, what an intriguing name. I must go and check that out. So then I went up the stairs. I went down the corner and I found your shop there. And I think you were closed at the time. And I knocked on the door. And I think you had an apron on and you came out. And you and when, I, when you opened the door, it was a shop full of just the most intense cocoa bean smell. And you had lots of bags of different Guatemalan, you know, Belize, you know, lots of different types of Costa Rica. You know, normally where you get coffee, yeah. you kind of had versions of that. And the thing that struck me the most about your chocolate was, and, and I, through this job, I had the good fortune to spend quite a lot of time in Switzerland. So I spent a lot of time in Geneva and Zurich and so forth. So I, I sort of sated my chocolate 
um, addiction there. But one of the things I noticed about your chocolate, which I, I think is reasonably unique of all the ones I've been to, is most people would have a white chocolate, a dark chocolate, and a milk chocolate, and then they would put different flavorings on it. They'd have a pistachio on it, or nuts, or whatever, right? But one of the things I absolutely adore about yours, and this must take an incredible amount of hard work, is every chocolate has its different base. So for example, you know, the, some of your chocolate, you'll have different milk chocolates to give you different flavorings. Yeah. And then you'll have a different uh, dark chocolates to give you different flavorings. So in a sense, what you're actually buying is not just the flavoring, but the underlying cocoa beans as well. Yeah. Which I'm just fascinated by. So that's how I sort of discovered you. And that's what sort of drew me in, I guess. Um, and I, I guess from my perspective, I'm just fascinated how you got into that because that's a lot of hard work, isn't it, to produce a bar of, one bar of chocolate? Yeah, yeah. So it takes us about a month to make one bar of chocolate, oh. which it seems crazy when you say it. I and mean, most of it is just sort of aging and resting. But yeah, it's about a month to bring a cocoa bean to a bar of chocolate. Um, so yeah, it started off as a complete accident um, in the way that all good things do. I was studying law and got a Christmas temp job at a well-known high street chocolate shop yeah. and I ended up staying with them for quite a long time and rather than working in retail I moved across into events and then into production and it's really rare in chocolate for people to kind of work their way up through a business and have almost like an apprenticeship right. and that's what I ended up doing and getting this amazing training and then Six years ago, I decided to set up on my own. Started off with, uh, so when you come into my shop, you can see all the grinders that yeah. turn the cocoa beans into chocolate. Started off with this tiny tabletop grinder in my kitchen at home. Very, very quickly had to move out of my home kitchen because it had literally taken over my entire house. and <laughs> um, just couldn't move for chocolate. So we ended up finding a really great production space in the old Granada Studios. Um, so we had the old staff canteen for Coronation Street, which was just an incredible place to work. Um, and then when that unfortunately closed a few years ago, we found the shop um, on Deanscape Muse and opened there. And the idea was that we wanted a space where people could come in and actually learn about chocolate and see what happens and how it's made. So like you said, most people have a milk, a white and a dark. But we work with sort of single estate cocoa beans, which all have their own unique flavour profile, yeah. like coffee or wine, and um, yeah, like where it's grown and the variety of cocoa bean has such a huge impact on flavour. And so I really wanted to showcase that. So yeah. yeah, like I said, we work with beans from Costa Rica, Guatemala, the Philippines, sort of all around the world. Yeah. And the idea was the shop was that you could come in and actually smell the beans roasting, taste what was grinding sort of discover the whole world beyond just milk white and dark and you've won a number of awards as well haven't you so yeah. which ones just remind us which ones are the so yeah. yeah and i think i've tried them all so i think yeah you've managed to try all of the award winners so far uh, <laughs> I yeah, know. Sure. <laughs> um, so on a bit of a whim entered into the academy of chocolate awards which is a global competition for chocolate um in 2016 and was like completely flawed to win a bronze for a Madagascan 75% dark that I'd made 
And the year after that, I thought, right, well, let's enter a few more and see what happens. And it's really great to get loads of feedback and it's judged by experts in the chocolate industry. And that year I won um, a gold for my Guatemala milk and yeah. the silver for my Guatemala dark and a couple of other awards as well. And then the UK Rising Star Award at the Academy of Chocolate that year, awesome. which was the most incredible. So they have this great awards ceremony in Claridges in London. And they had Will Torrance, who is quite a famous um, chocolatier and chef, up on stage. And he was giving this speech about this chocolate maker in Manchester winning an award. I was like, there's another one. <laughs> I have a friend like, pushing me towards the stage. It was so, yeah, absolutely yeah. incredible. And yeah, we've won quite a lot of awards now with the Academy of Chocolate. Lots and um, mostly well known for my milk chocolate so that's the one that wins all the gold awards and then the international chocolate awards again similar sort of global chocolate um competition and won quite a few awards yeah. them as well yeah. and, and listen i mean it's, it's wonderful absolutely wonderful what you do and also you know i i you know i mean i don't want to put myself in a difficult position but i think it's not expensive what you produce right i mean what yeah. you're selling i mean it's really accessible and people can buy it you know for something that's had so much effort in i just wonder sometimes what you're <laughs> the pricing but, but it's really really interesting the other thing um another little sort of anecdote or story was um i couldn't get onto your subscription service you, you turned me down two or three times <laughs> so there's a monthly so everybody there's a monthly subscription that isabel has i think it's a closely guarded secret but like, yeah. they're like getting into a london club or something you have to be referred um but um what i noticed is so now that i'm on it i feel quite privileged and just, just everybody knows i was on it before i invited you on this, yeah. so, this a, a clandestine way to, to get in but one of, one of the things that i really look forward to now is you, you you know you post it on the 16th i get it on the 17th and i'm normally looking forward to the 17th oh. you know, to, to get it and, I, and you know, you've, you've got and you you package it up because what isabel does is she makes unique flavors and she sends them to the people on the subscription so you don't get them in the shop so i think this month was a halloween flavor it's just wonderful wonderful and there's a little extract that she writes about the, the history of the beans and it's not long it's about this big and one of the things i've discovered is they make brilliant bookmarks <laughs> well I, I save them now and I, and I whenever i'm reading a book i'm reading a book and I, i've got this little um little sort of bookmark which uh, it has a history of a chocolate that i've eaten and i'm going to try and remember it so it's just wonderful so i mean we've got lots of people on here and i don't know if people will ask you for the subscription but do be gentle and do be generous yeah, <laughs> yeah there is a waiting list yeah you, you managed to um i, I think it was actually because you caught my partner Karen yes, in the shop yeah. and she came around i was in the middle of all these bars she's like have you got any of this month's bars like yeah, as yeah. luck would have it. No, no I'm really grateful. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a 12-month one, so I'm hoping it's auto renewal. So <laughs> <laughs> Do you get a note when it's yeah. time to renew and you yeah. get sort of Thank you. To the front of Thank you. <laughs> oh. uh, Richard, turning to Cinderwood. So I'm so uh, it's interesting. So just like I was researching bread, I was actually researching local makers of vegetables and produce, and I was just and actually. It strikes me you're one of the newest people here in the terms in terms of having set up your business right. so I, I discovered yours and i was reading and i think there's a picture of you and your partners on the, the website and i was just just learning more about it but the thing that caught me and drew me in was an article i think it was in the manchester evening news there was an article talking about your company and what you are producing and how you're providing some of the best restaurants in manchester and as someone like myself who's a 
who's a, an idiot gardener, right? So I'm, I'm sort of following all, I just follow books and doesn't normally work, right? Um, and I was just fascinated by the stuff that you're producing itself. It's, it's not a massive business, it's not massive acreage, but you're producing really high quality stuff. And I just wanted to learn more about it. How, how did you get into it? And Sure. Well, I won't take credit for actually growing the produce. Um, yeah. That is down to Michael, uh, who is right. the, uh, the vegetable grower that we partnered uh, with last year. Okay. Um, Michael and Joe, uh, who's the seasonal worker that we had working for us this year. Um, so my business partner, Joseph, um, he was a head chef of a, of a restaurant in Stockport called Where the Light Gets It. Um, and uh, Michael actually spent a week um, at Where the Light Gets It. Um, purely to explore the relationships, relationship with uh, restaurants and and market gardens. Uh, he, he's been growing for a number of years. He's studied it. Um, he feels like his produce is best represented um, in, a, in a restaurant setting, in a dining yeah. room. With yeah. so you don't sell to the public, do you? Is it, is it wholesale? We don't. Exclusive no, it's, yeah. it's direct to restaurants, um, not not wholesale. Um, okay. No, yes. It's, uh, you know, we, we don't necessarily class the restaurants or bakeries, delis that we work with as, as customers. They're, they're yeah. partners um, in what we're trying to do in terms of moving forward in, in, in yeah. the coming years. Um, the opportunity came unexpectedly last year. Um, myself and Joe, um, we set up a, a pop-up restaurant concept last year in February called Higher Ground. Uh, and it's actually on our launch night where we uh, met and were introduced to our now landlords uh, uh, yeah. of, of Cinderwood. Um, long story short, discussions throughout last year um, came to a head and it, we, we made the decision to take on an acre of, of land which is on their wider estate. Um, this is Pool Hall. Correct. Yeah. yeah, just outside of Nantwich. Uh, and uh, yeah, we overcame many obstacles and challenges that the young that a young farmer faces in, in this day. Right. Um, and we're able to not only obtain him a piece of land to start growing on and establish him himself, um, but he also now lives on site. Um, and luckily we were able to develop a package, so to speak, where he doesn't have any time, well, he doesn't, he does, <laughs> he has time to grow, which I think so many young farmers in this day and age don't because of the pressures of, um, rents and rates and landlords, um, you know, lots of farmers are facing huge challenges in terms of, you know, generating revenue early on, where actually you need to condition the land, you need to, you know, really look at what the land is able to produce, look at the soil. Um, we got onto the land uh, in October last year and spent three months uh, with that land covered, yes. where, which is effectively just killing off the top layer. That's right. All yeah. of that nitrogen yeah. then goes yeah. into the topsoil. Yeah. We should really I tried that supercharge well. the soil. <laughs> um, I put cardboard on. That's, 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 well, yeah, it's good that you tried. Yeah. <laughs> I commend you. Yeah. Um, but really, you know, we're, we're now deep into year one. Um, Joseph, How's it going? How's it going, Christmas? Oh, it's been, you know, of course, lots of challenges. We weren't yeah. naive and, you know, yeah. in, in any way at all before taking on this piece of land. We knew it was going to be difficult. Um, so many variables involved not just the weather um, that you're facing. Um, but you know, the, the, the partners that we've, we've, we've worked with and are still working with 
um, there'd be nothing but supportive um, in, in what we're trying to do. Um, you know, we had to identify and target a particular type of chef. I yeah. think it's something you know, we're, we're most sort of pleased with, really. That we've proactively had to sort of yeah. raise awareness of, of seasonality, not yes. just in the UK, but in the Northwest. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. if you have a market garden in Cornwall, yeah. it's a totally different sport almost yeah. <laughs> in terms of what you're able to grow, in terms of the, 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 the you know, extensive seasons that you're yeah. dealing with down there. But uh, yeah, the Northwest is slightly different in terms of what you what you get put up against. Yeah. Uh, year one has been very much about learning what that is. Yeah. Um, you know, luckily the soil has has really held up. Um, sandy loam, which makes drainage really efficient and, and, um, and effective. And uh, yeah, we've. we've did, did you just listening to you? Did you see yourself doing this years back, or was it just? Um, I was saying just earlier, um, when I arrived in Manchester at the end of 2019, um, you know, our rough, rough five-year vision was to do a restaurant. Uh, if that was going well, a couple of years after that, we'll do maybe look at other sites. Yeah. And then only then, once everything is settled and we have the resources, we would explore agriculture deeper. Um, you know, the opportunity was one thing, but also, of course, the last 15 months. With all the twists and turns, it's given us a lot more time where we've not been operating the space. So. Myself and my four colleagues, yeah. uh, four, uh, four team members, um, built the infrastructure on the farm. Right. So we've got two two eighty foot polytunnels um, on, oh, on, on, on the acre, that. Um, hoping to grow all year round. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So this is so talking polytunnel. I've done a lot of polytunnel research. Sure. So because I said to my wife, mm. I want one for my birthday. Okay. She was saying how big, and I said the one that covers half the <laughs> And then she, she said, well, I say, well, buy, it's a buy, commitment. She said, buy a 10 foot one, and if we see you in it every weekend, you can have a bigger one. Right. So I'm, I'm on a challenge at the moment. Brilliant. So, you know, I've got a book in there. Happy to, uh, I mean, we, we, uh, we of course. Um, so I do the Charles Dudding, um, No Dig. Yes, that's exactly what, uh, what Michael practices and, and believes yeah, so in. And it's uh, you know, luckily enough, with the, the land that we're on, yeah. there's a huge history to it yeah. in terms of how that land has, has been, been worked preserved and preserved and, and, and treated, and it's um, yeah, r an opportunity that we couldn't yeah. turn down at the time. No, Richard, it's, it's just fabulous what you're doing. I mean, it's so interesting, and the fact that you you've decided to do it, and you know, actually, Ginny and I did a bit of market research. We we, we went to some of the restaurants and uh, talked to some of them. We supply not because we supply them, but just because I read in this article. Mm. That I thought I'm going to, and they, were, you know, and I talked to them as well. And they were really complimentary about the stuff they produce. Yeah, it would be fantastic you know, to bring those. They like the, the concept and the journey, and they see it as a journey. They don't see it as a. I mean, I like the way you use of the word partner. They don't see it as necessarily just a purely a commercial arrangement. No, they see it as actually they're making it. They themselves are partaking in the journey, Pretty much so. rather than recipients of a box of veg a week. Absolutely. For us, you know, as, as a as a restaurant team, um, you know, we never wanted to be accessing just produce for ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's important for us to to really positively impact the wider food system, yeah. which you know, in many cities now, you know, it, it needs a lot of help right. in terms of infrastructure. Um, Thank you very much. I'm going to bring this to an end and then let me just finish by saying thank you very much to everyone. It's just wonderful, wonderful hearing every all these stories, the adventures and the journey that have been on. And there's definitely a, an element, well, there's definitely passion, there's definitely taking risks, and there's definitely, you know, trying to make a difference. 
you know, which I think is just really, really important in today's climate, just generally anyway, people's well-being as well. So thank you very much. Um, thank you for joining us and I hope you enjoyed the discussion today and please do like and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Thank you.